0: Some of the boys of summer are getting ready to become heroes of the fall. This is Adashina Koiki, and once again, you're listening to the A Lot of Sports Talk Podcast, episode number 22 in your ear, and we're beginning the month of October, and of course, that means the beginning of the Major League Baseball postseason. Ten teams in the playoffs, and as of this recording, only eight teams still alive after the wild card games were played and won by both road teams. In each league, the Houston Astros going into Yankee Stadium, defeating the New York Yankees by a score of three to nothing the Chicago Cubs going into PNC Park in Pittsburgh and defeating the Pirates by a score of four to nothing Jake Arietta just continues his amazing second half of the season shutting out the Pittsburgh Pirates one of the division winners in the Major League Baseball postseason the Texas Rangers the AOS division champions and they had such a great comeback in this 2015 season overtaking both both. both the LA angels and the Houston Astros and winning the American league West. And our feature interview on this episode of the, a lot of sports talk podcast is with Emily Jones on field reporter for the Texas Rangers. And one of the most interesting parts about this conversation was when Emily mentioned one of the players who had his season turn around in the second half after a conversation with his wife during the All-Star break. Which player was that? Well, you have to listen to the interview. Emily Jones talks all things... Texas Rangers, including Jeff Bannister, the first-year manager of the Texas Rangers, who actually was on the Pittsburgh Pirates coaching staff before coming over and taking over the job at Texas, year one, and in the playoffs, an AL West champion. So our feature interview with Emily Jones, about 27 minutes, and then after that, we have an interview with one of the players in the National Football League for the New York Giants, Justin Pugh, offensive tackle. The New York Giants, not too long ago it seemed as if the sky was falling. They were 0-2. They couldn't hold fourth quarter leads and now after two consecutive wins, all is right with the world in big blue land. 2-2 the New York Giants are as they get ready for their Sunday night game against the San Francisco 49ers. We talk with Justin Pugh, offensive tackle for the New York Giants. He goes up against the defensive line for the New York Giants every day in practice. The New York Giants are the number one team in the National Football League in terms of run defense, so I asked Justin Pugh about some of the members of the New York Giants defensive line that he gets to see every day and why they are so stout so far against the run so our interview with Justin Pugh is second our feature interview coming up in a few seconds is with Emily Jones, reporter for the Texas Rangers as we get you ready for the Rangers and the Toronto Blue Jays Game 1 of the American League Division Series on Thursday, so enjoy the interviews and we will see you as always at the very end of the show. For the third time in six seasons, the Texas Rangers-American League West Division champions. And for the fourth time in six seasons, they will take part in postseason play. Now, unlike 2010 and 2011, where the Rangers won the American League West in somewhat dominant-to-dominant fashion, the 2015 Rangers pulled off an amazing turnaround in the second half of the season to make it into the postseason, clinching the American League West on the final day of the season. The Rangers' first game in the playoffs On Thursday at Rogers Center Against the AL East winning Toronto Blue Jays, it'll be Giovanni Gallardo In game one against David Price And joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast is Emily Jones, sports reporter and On-field reporter for the Texas Rangers, first of all Emily Thank you so very much for joining us And my first question to you, very serious uh, Out of the gate, Uh, being An on-field reporter and especially After walk-off base Hits, um, you always have to be Leery of the Gatorade power aid uh bath um how do you how are you able to sidestep uh those sneak attacks uh by uh, Texas Rangers players when you're doing those interviews?
1: Well, I had a an incident early <laughs> in uh the season in yes. June and yeah. so we we all kind kind of had a uh an agreement and a, a meeting of the minds as to how those would be handled going forward so Elvis had been trying to get me, quite honestly, for about seven years, which is the entire time he's been in the big leagues, and he finally got me. Uh, It was absolutely intentional. I fault myself a little bit for not being more aware of my surroundings, because usually I'm pretty good about um, dodging those, but he got me back in June, and um, that's the last time he got me, because after then, we kind of came to an understanding about how the... uh, the post-game celebrations would take place, and he uh, obliged quite nicely. Uh,
0: by coming to an understanding, did that mean you saying, don't ever do that again, Elvis? <laughs>
1: yeah, and he, he it's not like he's wanted to again either. I mean, it, it, he, um, I, I think he might have felt that, that the incident in June was a little overboard. To me, I thought it was funny. I mean, it, it truly shocked me, um, but, you know, it's all in good fun, and, being around these guys on a daily basis for you know the last you know seven eight nine years of my career I've kind of learned you know how they operate and the way they work and it it didn't offend me in the least and it was he got me I mean he got me good and that's kind of what baseball uh especially being in the clubhouse is all about so um he he knows better now uh now being in the celebratory you know division clenching clubhouse was a completely different story there was no no limits there and uh and no holds barred that's for sure for me or anyone else uh
0: you mentioned the uh celebration in the locker room on the final day of the season i actually want to go back one day prior to that on that Saturday where it looked as if uh, the celebrations were going to take place on that Saturday afternoon, but that uh, shocking uh, comeback by the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim scoring five runs in the ninth after going into the top of the ninth inning down by four. Uh, What was the attitude of the team after that loss? It could have been very deflating. Um, They knew they had a playoff spot clinch but no more than one game was guaranteed. So what was the Attitude going into that Sunday, knowing that everything was still in the balance, and they came off a game which was one of the more heartbreaking losses, probably um, in Rangers regular season franchise history. What was the attitude after that game on Saturday?
1: Uh, to be honest, I was in the tunnel um, waiting because I was there. That was a nationally broadcast game, yeah. so I didn't work the actual game itself, but I was there in case they were to win because I was. We were going to do a post game show. Um, you know, if they clinched the division at, at that point. So I was kind of on standby and lined up in the tunnel ready to go out on the field um, if that were to happen. And then, of course, it never did. And I began to have flashbacks of 2011 in St. Louis uh, when things went down in Game 6 in a very uh, quick and scarring manner. And so, to be very honest with you, I didn't even go into the clubhouse on Saturday after that game. I just thought, you know what, they're going to be, that, that was a giant gut punch. Um, they're not going to want to talk. It's not going to be a good scene. It's not going to be a good vibe. It's not going to do me any good. I didn't have any work to be done. We weren't doing a show. So I just decided to hightail at home, and I thought, I'm going to gauge things by the way they act tomorrow before the game. I mean, it was going to be a less than 24-hour turnaround. Um, I just thought, you know, let's let them sleep on it and see how they hey, they come to the park on Sunday. And sure enough, true to form, they, they came to the park the same as they've done for the last six months. Um, very, you know, unfazed by whatever had happened the night before. Um, you know, very confident, very loose, um, and very just unaffected by what had happened the night before. Now, whether that was all a show or not, who knows? But they had me fooled. I mean, they were joking around, throwing footballs, and, you know, doing stuff that baseball players do a few hours before a game. So, I wasn't too concerned, especially because I knew Cole Hamels was on the mound for them, and I know um, I knew his last outing was disappointing, and so that if he was going, you know, he's already good, and then once you add a little fuel to that fire by him not being good his last time out, I knew he'd be extra extra focused. And then when he gave up the two-run bomb to Pujols, I thought, well, now he's going to get even more focused. Um, and so, and it was, that's the way it went down. He, you know, he gave up that bomb to Cujols and then he really, really settled in and didn't give up, you know, basically anything the rest of the way. So it's a strange, you know, kind of confluence of events, but that's the way it went down for me the last two days of the season.
0: Once again, speaking with Emily Jones, sports anchor and on-field reporter for the Texas Rangers. Of course, Cole Hamels uh, now pitching for the Texas Rangers coming over from the Philadelphia Phillies on that deadline deal. Um, Obviously, his impact is ginormous on the field, but talk about his impact with maybe some of the other pitchers or some of the other uh, players on the team. So what has been his impact, not just with his performance, but with um, his relationship with some of the members on the team and some of the members on the pitching staff?
1: Well, I think, you know, you see him, you know, during games, um, you know, talking to guys, you know, guys like Derek Holland are, you know, sponges for information. He wants to know, you know, everything there is to know, especially from a guy like um, Cole. And so you see him in there and you see guys like Colby Lewis talking to him, um, Giovanni Gallardo, um, you know, the catchers wanting to kind of pick his brain, get inside his head. And, you know, when you've been as dominant as Cole Hamilton has been over the course of his career – you have insight to share. You have experiences to share. But I think what's been most impressive to me about him is his desire to listen and to learn from others. Um, and I think one, one thing that he's really talked about is the impact that the, the clubhouse has had on him and the chemistry, um, that, that's going on inside there and the way that it's affected him and, you know, in a manner that he, you know, he said, I don't mean to, you know, say anything bad about previous teams, but, you know, what this clubhouse has going is something really, really special and something that I really haven't experienced before. Just as far as, you know, the way they are off the field, before the games, after games, all that kind of stuff. And so um, it's been neat for, you know, I think for him to, you know, kind of experience something different than what he's been used to his entire career. I'm not saying that anything he came from was bad. My goodness, he's been dominant for his entire career. So He's doing a lot of things right, but I, I think it's neat for a guy like that who does have so many, um, you know, so many accolades and so many accomplishments that he's still eager to learn and, and open himself up to new experiences. So, you know, there I think it's a give and take. I mean, I think probably Cole's giving a lot more than he's taking, but there's definitely some of both.
0: Uh- There was some noise, and I know some uh, fans, some baseball experts, after that trade uh, by John Daniels uh, to get Cole Hamels about what the Rangers were really doing, trading for Cole Hamels after um, being three games under, 508 games in back of the Houston Astros and in third place uh, in the American League West by the time that trade happened. Uh, Did that rhetoric get into the rangers clubhouse did they hear that was it any motivation was it something that uh some of the players or management heard from fans and experts about what the rangers were really doing uh trading for cole hamels uh while they were still in third place in their own division and under 500
1: yeah i mean i think a lot of people thought it i think it was a logical you know thought process but if you look at the fact that you have control of cole hamels for multiple years this wasn't this wasn't a rental this isn't a david Price situation um, this wasn't a Cliff Lee situation from 2010 with this team. I mean, this was a completely different situation. You were, you know, taking control of an, an ace um, who still has a number, what they valued, viewed as a number of good years left in him. Um, and let's be honest, they this team has not, this organization has not been able to get um, free agent, top shelf pitchers to come here. I mean, they got you Darvish, but that was through a bidding process. Um, they they had Cliff Lee, they got him, you know, in the trade with Philadelphia in the 2010 season, and then he left. So they have not been able to do that. So for whatever reason, um, whether it's the stigma that's attached to the ballpark, it's a hitter's ballpark, which I'm here to tell you it's not anymore. The jet stream is gone, but that's going to take a few years more, I guess, for people to fully realize that. But for, for some reason, it just hasn't happened. And so this was an opportunity for them to get an ace in their organization, and keep a hold of them for not just a half a season, but for a couple seasons after that. So for them, it was a win-win situation if they had the commitment from the ownership to, um, you know, to, to tie the dollars up, and they did. And that's what they went with. And it, it instantly, from the time that trade happened, um, even when it was not yet finalized but almost finalized, the team completely turned around. It, it was a you know a shot in the arm for. You know, a struggling group of guys, and, you know, not that saying that, that that was solely responsible for the turnaround. There's a gazillion things you could list that, that contributed to it, but that was definitely one of them. Um, and let's not forget the guy that was thrown in with it, Jake Eakman, who's yes. been a huge part of the setup portion of this bullpen.
0: Uh, Once again, Emily Jones joining us and one of the new additions, at least going into uh, the 2015 season, a new manager uh, in Jeff Bannister coming over from Pittsburgh, where he was the uh, bench coach. And um, he had some big shoes to fill because uh, Ron Washington, who was the last uh, full-time manager, took the franchise to levels that it had never seen, uh, one out, one strike uh, away from the uh, World Series. What are... I guess it might be an unfair question in if I ask what are the similarities and differences uh, between uh, Ron Washington and uh, Jeff Bannister. But what has Jeff Bannister really brought to this team that has allowed the Rangers to be in this position in the playoffs to bounce back uh, from a few tough losses and being under 500 to have this turnaround?
1: Well, I mean, I think a lot of it is just, you know, Banny's resiliency. I mean, he's had it throughout his entire life. I mean, I don't know how much you know about his, his personal story and what he's overcome, but, um, he overcame cancer. He's had, you know, career ending, you know, comp- medical issues throughout his career in college and, um, in the pros. He had one major league at bat, toiled away in the minor leagues and, you know, was the bench coach for, you know, how many ever years in the Pirates organization? Spent 29 years in the Pirates organization without getting a shot at being the manager. I mean, the guy has just persevered through so many things. And so I think, he provided a level of perspective for these guys um, initially and right off the bat by just simply sharing his story. Um, and then he, he, he's really intense and his message is very firm and it's very um, specific and it's very strong. And it was a new message. And, you know, I, I have so much respect for it managers and especially in baseball seasons that last so long that are able to stick around for, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten years with the same team because, it's hard to, to preach the same message and for it to still be effective season after season. So I think with Ron Washington, it was a strange, you know, turn of events that led to his departure in Texas. But I think looking back now, it was probably a blessing in disguise for the organization and for Wash. He admitted that he got kind of away from himself. He, um, you know, wasn't who he was early on in his tenure, which is why people and players, you know, fell in love with him and fell in love with playing for him. So, it was. It's just. It, it's a. It's a similar message as far as looking out for your players and uh, having their backs, and um, you know, being a player's manager, so to speak. But it's just conveyed in a very different manner. He also relies heavily on the veterans at his his clubhouse to, to convey his message and to enforce it. So he's not. He doesn't have to be so prevalent in there, and he doesn't have to be, the one, you know, throwing down the hammer all the time. but it can be the veteran guys, and you know, let's be real. It's a bunch of. 20 to 30-year-olds would much rather be kept in check by, you know, their peers than by what's, you know, perceived as an authority figure. So I think the way he handled not only himself but the way he handled his, you know, veterans and allowed them to kind of be the conduit of his message has been a huge part in, in why he's been so effective.
0: Uh, and some of those veterans, Prince Fielder, Adrian Beltre, have done really well. They've been all-stars. Um, is there any player or players for those that uh, don't have a finger on the pulse of the Texas Rangers and weren't able to watch them on a game-to-game basis? Are there a player or players that really surprised and were – and? Players that just either came off the radar or just surprised um, yourself when watching him in terms of allowing the Rangers to be the team they have been. So, any surprises uh, on the team, or uh, was it just what you expected?
1: Well, I mean, I think when you look at the the first half that Shin Soo had, oh yeah, um, <laughs> what, what turned <laughs> that around for it, him? Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. It's he 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 credits honestly. He credits a conversation with his wife over the All Star break. Wow. Um, that about her basically just sitting him down and saying, look, you built a, a, the foundation of your career. You know, you, you know what you're doing. You've earned the contract that you got, and you're carrying so much weight around that's unnecessary. That you, you know, you have all of the tools that it takes to be a great baseball player, and you have been before. And so there's no need for you to be carrying all this extra weight around. And he and I have had, had had similar conversations in the first half. Um, obviously, I don't carry the weight that, um, that is his wife does. But, you know, him talking to me about how he, cared, he, he wanted to live up to the contract so badly. And last year, he was so hurt and tried to play through it because he felt obligated to it, not only to the organization and the contract and his family, but to his country. Um, you know, it, it, he, he's very prideful in that. And he's very cognizant of the fact that he feels like he's representing his country and his, his people in this game. And he wants to do so in a very respectful and very proud manner. And so it was unacceptable for him to be, you know, to not perform up to that contract last season. So I think he came into this year, you know, after a few off season surgeries, wanting desperately to prove his value and to prove that he deserved that contract. When in reality it was reversed, that he had already earned it and he needed to just kind of not carry that weight around. And once, you know, it, he was able to take a step back and take a breather, whether it was, you know, the all-star break or whatever, he just completely turned. I mean, it was, he was like a completely different player in the field, the confidence that he had, you know, in right field, the confidence that he had at the plate, the way he was carrying himself in the clubhouse, everything was completely and totally different um, and a complete 180 from what it was in the first half. So to see a guy completely transform himself within one season like that, is one of the most impressive things I think that I've ever seen uh, in my 10 years of covering professional
0: baseball. And all it took was a conversation with his wife
1: that's it that's, that's it. all
0: it's behind every great man right that's exactly please guys if you're listening don't ever take any conversation uh with your wife uh for granted sometimes um, we know what we're talking about uh, uh, right <laughs> sometimes <laughs> right more than sometimes again emily jones uh joining us as the rangers are getting ready to play the toronto blue jays on thursday um of course, one of the players and one of the outfielders, we talked about Shin Su Chu, uh Josh Hamilton, uh, a few years ago, twenty eleven, was hitting the uh home run that a lot of fans thought would be the uh, uh game winning run uh to give the Rangers its first ever uh, World Series championship and then year after that, um his first Rangers tenure ended really bitterly, um, in that, uh, one game playoff against the, uh, Baltimore Orioles. And now, um, after his time in Anaheim, he's back here, uh, in Texas, uh, getting a chance to be around him his second time around, uh, in Arlington. What's his attitude? How is he feeling? And, um, is he really comfortable, uh, back in Arlington?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, he's, it's been difficult for him just because he has, um, he's been battling injury and, and, you know, it's been kind of the story for him over the last couple of years, you know, he came back and didn't really get a spring training. And then he tries to come back here and he made an immediate impact and had some, you know, really positive effects on this team, you know, impacted some games, you know, profoundly, um, and then got injured again. But I, I think he, you see, I've seen Josh, I, I think more operating in reality of, I mean, for so long, he rode this wave of just unbelievableness, like just, you know, this crazy story, this crazy comeback story of this, you know, guy who was, you know, redeeming himself in life and in baseball. And, you know, then he leaves Texas, which I think, you know, I I think was the biggest mistake, you know, he ever made because he, he just had such a great support system here, but that's neither here nor there. But I think once he got back here, he's... He's worked really really hard to um, to be on the field as much as he can for this team, and I don't know that the Josh Hamilton of three four years ago would have fought as hard as he did to get back out in the field to make sure that he was ready for the playoffs um, and so that's been nice to see um, you know it's he's a He's a very very unique man, and he's probably you know if not the most one of the most unique People, you know whose experiences just are you know unlike anything I've ever dealt with. So it's, it's a completely different set of circumstances that you're that you're talking about when you when you deal with Josh. And so um, he's a unique case but also he's extremely talented. He has the ability to change a game with one swing of a bat um, and he's still got it. I mean his god-given tools are just absolutely ridiculous. Um, and so just his presence in the lineup, you know, whether he's batting, you know, if he's on an O for 30 streak, his presence in the lineup affects the pitches that the guys in front of him and the guys behind him get. And so he's, he's valuable. And, um, and I think he needs baseball and, and, and I think, you know, right now baseball needs him too. And I hope it does for a while because, um, you know, it's a, it's, it, it's a big part of, of his life and who he is and um, you know, keeping him on the path that he wants to be on.
0: Uh, a couple of more questions uh, with Emily Jones. Uh, the bullpen has been a bright spot. You mentioned Jake Diekman, Tolleson as well. I know at the very end of the year, uh, they were used again and again and again uh, and again. Uh, how is the status of the bullpen going into this postseason? And has the bullpen been a bright spot all season long, or was there a point where the bullpen uh, really turned it around?
1: Uh, yeah, it was not good um, <laughs> the, the whole time, that's for sure. Mm-hmm um it was definitely not good but they 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 did some things to you know to shore things up they acquired you know Sam Dyson um who's been i mean absolutely nails for i mean he pitched five straight days um i'm not, i don't i don't know exactly what the numbers were but i know they were really really good um it, and it just kind of i i don't know if it was i can't remember if it was a waiver claim or if it was a player to be named later but it was a very you know low risk Um, move to get him you know they get they get Diekman in that uh, in that Cole Hamels deal Sean Hollison it's been a total surprise you know Nathalie Salis was the guy closing out games for this team to start the season and then they went to a bullpen or a closer rather by committee and he's the guy that kind of fit into that role Um, you know they've had some good long relief spots um, but you know a rookie they got a rookie named Keone Kella who was you know wiped out to start, and then they kind of put him back down in the minors to avoid some arm issues, and now he's dealing with him again. But he's been wiped out. I I believe he'll still be on the playoff roster because even with a bad arm, he still gives you you know can give you 97 miles an hour and has a really good instinct um, when it comes to those high pressure situations. So. The Bolton was not the team's strong suit for sure um, early in the season, but it's something that they really shored up, and it's a huge reason um, as to why they are in the position that they're in right now.
0: Uh, I don't know if you agree with this, but now facing the Toronto Blue Jays, it's almost as if the Toronto Blue Jays lineup now is what was the Texas Rangers lineup about three or four years ago? No matter from one to nine, you know, any one of those positions one to nine get it home runs. It's almost as if the blue Jays of 2015 are like the Texas Rangers of 2010 or 2011. I don't know if you agree with that kind of assessment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's probably something to that. I mean, you know, to where it doesn't matter. I mean, I think, I think in 2011, I can't it, 10, I mean, 11, Mike Napoli, I think, was batting 6. I mean, that's insane.
0: Yeah. When
1: you think about, I mean, that was, I mean, he would have been, if they would have won in St. Louis, he would have been the World Series MVP. I'm certain of it. Um, And you've got a guy like that hitting that far down in your lineup. is crazy. Um, That lineup was the most stacked I've ever seen. I mean, it was Michael Young. It was Nelson Cruz. It was Mike Napoli. Josh Hamilton. I mean, it was just absolutely stacked. Um, and you look at this Toronto lineup, and it's very much the same. Um, and I think that's why they had Giovanni Gallardo, the Rangers, do starting game one, is because Giovanni can literally nibble you into submission. Um, he, you know, he's methodically, his pace is methodical. Um, you know, he, he's not going to blow you away with his stuff, but he's going to, he's going to, you know, nitpick and nibble all around that strike zone, hoping to, um, eventually lull you into, um, swinging at a bad pitch or looking at one. So, um, or putting a ball in play that you think you could square up, but that you just can't quite do it. So it's, it's, um, it's a, it's a fascinating matchup as far as, you know, the way this rotation sets up for the Rangers that they can't throw Cole Hamilton game one, game one. Um, and just the the lineup of Toronto itself which is is uh it's stout to say the least i mean you look at the the run differential for that team i mean i, I don't i think it, didn't they set some sort of ridiculous record i mean they scored like 680 something runs i mean it's i mean it's 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 comical the numbers that they put up um so I, you know it's yeah it's every bit as good as that
0: 2010 uh lineup
1: for the rangers
0: yeah uh toronto Again, just absolutely positively just murders the ball, murderers row like the Texas Rangers uh, of a few a few years ago. Uh, one last question I, what we watched, or I watched the Texas Rangers uh, have a little workout before heading to Toronto, and I think a lot of the players were wearing uh, shorts that looked as if the pattern after the American flag. Is there something to that, or is this the most patriotic team in baseball?
1: No, that is the work of Mike Napoli. So when he was in Boston, uh Johnny Gomes apparently had some shorts made for all of the Red Sox that were in that motif with the American flag and had some writing on it, Red Sox logo, you know, stuff like that. And so Nap would wear those his first, you know, week or so here um, after he was acquired and, uh, you know, some of the guys would comment on him. So he decided to get shorts made for the entire team with obviously Ranger logos and, um, the hashtag is never ever quit which is been the marketing slogan for this team ironically enough uh, since the since spring training they adopted it um kind of latching onto Jeff Bannister as their you know marketing tool for the season and developed the hashtag never ever quit and the slogan to never ever quit which you know rings very true now um at the conclusion of the regular season but uh, he had that hashtag put on there and Got shorts for the entire team, and they all uh, they all wear them now uh, as much as they can, even though they're quite possibly the most hideous shorts I've ever laid eyes on. But which means um, you
0: have a pair, I'm sure. Come on. Uh, I've got some hidden somewhere. (laughs) I don't know that I'll ever break them out, though. (laughs) Fair enough, fair enough. Um, It has been a pleasure uh, to talk with Emily Jones, sports anchor and on-field reporter for the Texas Rangers. Emily, thank you so very much for the time. The Rangers and the Blue Jays start Game 1 of the American League Division Series on Thursday. Once again, Emily Jones, thank you so very much uh, for joining us, and let us know when you find those shorts. Sure thing. I'll do it and take a picture. Uh, Ah, awesome. Uh, Emily, it's been a pleasure. (laughs) Thank you so very much. Thank you. The New York Giants are back to 500. That after an impressive 24 to 10 victory on the road against the Buffalo Bills in Orchard Park, the Giants back home for a Sunday night game against the San Francisco 49ers and joining us right now on the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, Giants offensive lineman, Justin Pugh. First of all, Justin, thanks for joining us. Um, a couple of weeks ago, the sky was falling. And now a couple of weeks later, it's sunshine and roses and the Giants bandwagon is filling up once again. Uh, can you describe, describe the first f- four weeks in the quarter poll of the season to assess this team at the quarter pole of the season?
2: I feel like the first two weeks, we played well enough to win. You know, everyone was yelling and screaming about how the way we lo- lose those games. You know, there's like three minutes of football if we get back. We're 4-0. So we learn from those. We learn from those, and we're able to finish the last two games and, and come up with big plays when we needed to. Uh, I think the prime example of this last game, um, you know, defense gets a stop with that fourth and the, the, the four downs down the goal line they get a stop. Um then we have a great special teams play by Vereen to pick a ball. It was thought it was going to be a touchback and took a crazy bounce. He's got to take it out and run with it, gets it out to the 30 yard line. We come down, we score a touchdown and go ahead and, uh, and finish that thing. So like it's, it's all three phases working in harmony. Obviously in the third quarter, it'd been nice to, to put something, put a drive together there, but we weren't able to, but you know, Hey, sitting here two and two and, and excited about you know playing a good team on sunday night and on
0: sunday night playing the 49ers i know every game you want to go in with the same mentality but at the same time it's sunday night uh, the whole country is watching mentality change a little bit di- little different or are you more
2: cognizant that you're the only show in town <laughs> it's, it's a lot of you know hurry up and wait you wake up on sunday you got to wait the whole day to go play the game so you, tensions build and that starts to you know Build up, and you, you get to watch some games throughout the day and see what's going on. So it's definitely an exciting game. You know, everyone's everyone's texting you before the game because they know you're prime time, Sunday night. Uh, and then after the game, you know, when you win, you always have a 1,000 text messages. You lose, no one will text you. So, you know. <laughs> I look forward to getting that win and having to to turn my phone off I'm not going to answer anybody after. <laughs> uh, so
0: if in the event you were to lose primetime games, do you text the people that usually
2: would text you during wins and say, oh, where's the love now? <laughs> no, nah, nah, I, don't, I don't normally text as much after the game. I try to get out of there and get home, man. I'm normally tired, better to go to sleep. Once again, Justin
0: Pugh joining us. Um, I don't think a lot of experts or fans would think that as of right now, the New York Giants have the number one run defense uh, in the National Football League and you go up against the defensive linemen um, every day. What about the Giants' defensive line and the linebackers as well allows this team, at least as of right now, to be so stout against the they're run?
2: Scrappy. They try, they're scrappy. They out-hustle people. They outwork them. They're uh we got some vets leading that group man we got a good group of guys so it's 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 tough going against them they they they're physical up front and they, they take pride in stopping the run. That's something that they definitely have, have done so far. And every every week, the past two weeks, we've had the number one rush team come in, and they've shut them down. So kudos to them. They've done a great job. And, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what happens. And now you have the San Francisco 49ers. I know
0: Colin Kaepernick has been struggling in terms of passing the ball, but um, he is a run threat as well. And now uh, on the defense as well, the 49ers defense has been pretty good this year. They just haven't had the offense uh, really catch up to the defense. Uh, what's the important part in attacking the 49ers? defense
2: not hurting ourselves you know putting ourselves in good position uh having our defense go out there and get stops for us and put us in good field position on us making sure we take care of the ball no turnovers uh it's, it's what we've been doing all year making sure we we we, we look after what we have to and, and and take care of all three phases and play sound football and that's what's one of us games I know a couple of weeks ago you were worried
0: about losing the trademark beard uh, that you have because of a certain uh, football game at the Carrier Dome with Central Michigan uh, and Syracuse that went to overtime so tell me uh, your emotions tell me how that started uh, in terms of having that bet and then tell me your emotions as you were seeing that the game went to overtime
2: yeah my buddy's out in California that I trained with in the offseason he went to Central Michigan played safety there and then he was like hey what's well, something we can do that would be fun and like you know you're not going to send out 20 bucks to california so he's like let's do something where you got to shave a mustache for uh for two weeks so i said of course man we got cmu coming to the dome." i was thinking there's no way that could happen so you know they threw a hail mary put it in overtime i was sweating a little bit but at the end my boys pulled through for me and the beard's still intact and i <laughs> got to worry about it justin Pugh and his trademark beer beard with us thank you so very much
0: for the time and uh, best of luck uh this sunday night thank you very much Honestly, it would have been terrible if Justin Pugh had to part ways with his perfectly manicured beard. We thank Justin Pugh as well as Emily Jones so very much for joining us. This has been episode number 22 of the A Lot of Sports Talk podcast, so stay tuned in another week, couple of weeks. We'll have episode number 23, and you can log on right now on a alotofsportstalk.com, where we have up right now our 2015-2016 National Hockey League preview, the hockey season starting on Wednesday. And for our previews, we are joined by the newest contributor to a lot of sports talk, former writer for NHL.com Emna Ashur, who is based up in Montreal, Canada. She and I collaborated on previewing both the Eastern Conference and Western Conference in this 2015-2016 NHL season. So as the weather gets cooler, the action on the ice heats up. The season starting on Wednesday, so again go on to a lot of sports talk.com where you can read the 2015 2016 national hockey league preview thank you so very much once again for tuning in to the a lot of sports talk podcast and we will see you and hear from you next week okay thank you so very much for joining us and you take care bye-bye